Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. We're in a series in Genesis. We finally made it to the seventh day. We're taking our time. Um, and for, for those of you who are wondering, like, man, we're never going to make it. If we're preaching through Genesis 1 to 12, we're never going to make it through if we go at this pace. Um, let me just say that uh, the first three chapters are way slower than the rest. Um, and so as... As uh, you know, we go through Genesis, we'll pick up the pace and how quick we go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our verses, but I'm also going to read something from the book of Hebrews, um, because what I want you guys to see is that the seventh day, the Sabbath that God gives us um, in Genesis 2, points us to and prepares us to the Sabbath rest that we have in Christ. And I want to show you that from the very beginning. So so the verses in Genesis that we will be uh, talking, uh, preaching from is... Genesis 2, 1 to 3, says in Genesis 2, 1 to 3 this, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It's repetitive for a reason. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. Now, I'm going to go to the text in Hebrews to help you make the connection. This is uh, Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while promise remains to enter his rest, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since it was not united with those who heard it in faith. For those who have believed have entered that rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished from the foundation of the world. For somewhere else he's spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, They will never enter my rest. Since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of their disobedience. Again, he specifies a certain day today, speaking through David after a long time as previously stated. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered into his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us make every effort to enter that rest so that each one of you will not fall into the same pattern of disobedience. So author Hebrews basically says that Christ is our Sabbath rest, that we must enter into the works that God did in Christ. So these are the verses I want, I'm going to have you thinking about. We're going to be mostly in the, the text in Genesis. But um, the, the main idea of what I want to unpack to you guys is, is, is that reality, the reality that God makes is a reality that basically just can be summarized in this phrase, he already did. Um, and I think sometimes like when we think what's wrong with reality, we typically think like this. What's wrong with reality um, is that, that people kill each other and there's something, that there's something wrong with that. Uh, people rob each other. You know, people are racist. Uh, people are, you know, abusive and whatnot. And, and that's how we typically see the problems in the world. Um, but let me give you another, another picture uh, of what a, what, another, what, what a fundamentally essential problem is in creation in this world. Because all those things I just talked about, abuse, anger, violence, racism, they actually flow out of this greater problem. And here's, here's an illustration. I'm going to give you the typical lifespan of a, of a child. You're born, and then you spend 
18 years about doing eight hours of work in school every day, right? And then after that, you spend about two hours doing homework. And then after that, you spend two or three hours doing sports and activities. And then on, on top of that, in the weekends, you are, you know, the, a typical child will go to a million events, a million get-togethers and, and parties and whatnot. And, and then that's their entire life. And then they get, they grow up, they get married, they reproduce, and they just do it again. That is what is really essentially, not those things, those are things are not wrong, but the fact that reality is mostly determined by just busyness and activity is what's most fundamentally wrong with us. For, this is how reality is for us. What did I do in the past? What am I doing now? And what will I do? And what God shows us as he's given us a picture of why he made the world is that, listen, newsflash, reality is not most defined by you do, but reality from the very beginning is mostly defined by he did. So I want to unpack that concept. How, what does it mean for us to live in a reality that is, can be summarized as being primarily about he did and resting in what he did and everything flowing out from that? Um, the first way I want to unpack that is by saying this. He already did, and if, if you take note, this is your opportunity to take note. Uh, he already did is reality's emphasis. He already did is reality's emphasis. Look what it says. So the heaven and the earth were completed. By the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. So, so check this out. God is really repetitive because he's emphasizing that he finished. And the fact that the last day of the week concludes with God saying, I'm done, don't do anything, is another way of God emphasizing the fact that he did it. And you guys notice something interesting about the Bible? What's the number that's most emphasized in the Bible? Seven. Seven. Because it represents the fact that God completed what he needed to do. Um, and so let me give you a picture that may help. Uh, and I'm sorry I use so many pictures of my family. Maybe it's because I'm really egotistical and I just, you know. But it just, it's, just, it's just very clear to me and, and helpful. You know, I don't know if it's one or the other. But in a typical day, Rebecca will do many things. She will, uh, you know, feed the kids. She will, uh, you know bring some order to the house and, and, and clean up. You know, she will have uh, texting conversations. Uh, she'll uh, go to the park, make lunch, yada, yada, yada. But when she decides to rearrange a room, that's the thing that she really wants me to be most aware of. So it's, the question oftentimes is, have you noticed that I rearranged the room? So in the midst of a lot of things that happens, she says, look, this is the thing that is emphatic for me, and I want you to take real note of. And so God is saying that that's kind of how I am. I, I did a lot of things in, in six days, but I want you to be most attentive to the fact that I finished. So making us in his image is not the emphasis of the creation account. Uh, you know, all the things that we can do, subdue the earth and multiply and all these things is not the emphasis that, you know, um, all the things in, in the first six days are not the emphasis, not diversity that we see in the, in the creation, not community, but the emphasis that we see in creation is that God finished what he had to do. 
So, so how does this look like in your day? Uh, you're like, man, God, like, you know, I answered like 10 emails and God's like, yeah, in six days I finished. And in three years of my son's life, I finished. That's like the climax of your day. And you're like, oh man, like at work I had a great day and like I got everything done and I even got, and and God's like, guess what? Great you had a good day, but in six days I made the entire existence. And in three years I remade the entire existence in Christ. That's what I'm thinking most about, you know. You think, man, like today, like I got my kids, you know, their homework done and, and I got them to like their activities on time and I got to work out today and I got to eat a healthy meal today. And, I, and God's like, in six days, I made everything. That's really cute that you had a productive day. It's really cute that you got your tax done, your, 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 your list done. In six days, I made existence and in three years, I remade existence. That's what I want you to emphasize in your day. It's really cute that you did all these things and you accomplished all these things and, you know. But, but reality's emphasis is that God did everything already. So that's reality's emphasis. As we continue to unpack that, um, I want to say another thing. He already did is the maker of reality's only place of rest. It's the maker of reality's only place of rest. Look at this in verse 2. By the seventh day, God completed his work he had done, and he rested. Okay, God doesn't need a rest, right? So why does it say he rested? Um, the idea is not that God, like, worked for six days, and he's like, oh, I need to stop. I'm tired, you know? The idea is that he was refreshed, and he took a stop to just be wowed by what he did. That's the idea. So God's like, I did what I did, and now I just want to take a day to just be, like, wowed by what I did. Um, and so... Here's another picture that may help you. You know, like when you're, when you're at work, um, and everyone gets their tasks done at work, but you haven't done your task yet at work, you don't feel good that everyone else got their task done at work, right? It's like, I still have that. You know, when you, whatever, however you distribute things in the home, the fact that everyone else did what they were supposed to do in their home, that's not what's gonna make you feel good. When you get your task done that is specific to you, you're like, alright, I'm good. Okay? So God is saying that what refreshes me, what gives me peace and rest is the fact that I finished. Okay? So how do I unpack this for this practically? God, are you, let me talk to God because God's real, okay? I'm a, you might be, that's kind of weird, but God, uh, if we would ask God a question, are you, are you resting and refreshed with what we're going to do with the church this year and what we've done? God's like, no. I am refreshed in the fact that I did something in Christ already. That's what gives me my, uh-huh, I can chill feeling, if I, if I could be, speak metaphorically to God. You say, God, are you, you know, resting in the fact that I have done all my mothering things and all of my parenting things and all of my educational things and all of my job things? God, is that bringing you rest? And God would be like, No. What brings me refreshment is that I have done everything already in Christ, perfect life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. That is what's refreshing me. Or, or I can say another, God, are you, are you refreshed now at how much I do for you? And God's like, no, that's not my place of refreshment. 
You know, how about God? I have issues. I got anxiety issues. I got depression issues. I, I got, you know, wounds that I'm trying to cope with. Are you going to get refreshment from me coping with this? And God's like, no. I rested when I did what I did. And now I am resting on the basis that I completed. I mean, my son on the cross said it is finished. That's what brings me rest and refreshment. And you may say, how does that practically matter for me? Well, here's, here's a picture. Um, picture this. Picture a father and son in a house, and um, someone's trying to break into the house. And as, as someone is trying to break into the house, um, the son's like, you know, like looking at the dad, and the dad's just like very calm and very chilled, and, 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 and it's like, what's going on? Like, what is this? What is this? There's like, there's like people trying to break into the house. What's going on? And the dad's just looking at the lock that he put in place. He's like, I did that. I put that there. I feel good in the midst of all that. And so the son sees the look on his father's face having peace because he knows what he has put in place for security. And so imagine this. In a world that is chaotic, families that are chaotic, society is chaotic, life that is chaotic, our minds that are chaotic, God's like, if you were to look at, at, at his face and he would have this, you know, kind of peaceful look and like, hey, God, why are you at peace in my life right now? My life is chaotic. The world is chaotic. God, what is this look of peace and refreshment? And God's like, I am just looking at what I did in my son Christ. So listen, just look at my face at what I'm paying attention to in light of what I did and let you enter into that refreshment that I have in my own works. So, so he already did is the maker of reality's only place of rest. The only place of rest. So another thing I want to say is, is he already did is reality's climate. Um, the way it's, it says in verse, uh, it says, the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. The way, um, the way that looks, it's not just that God stopped, but it's, but, but what God is trying to tell us is that the fact that God stopped is really the environment of the whole world now. Now, here, let me give you a picture that may help. And you're like, I don't know. Um, in Miami, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, you're always in a hot, muggy situation, right? Because that's the climate that we live in. It doesn't matter what's going on. And so God's saying this, check it out. On your best day, you know what the environment is in your world? I finished everything. On your worst day, you know what environment you live in? I finished everything. When I enable you to do all these great things for my glory, you live in the environment that I finish everything. Um, when you fail miserably and everything that you try to attempt, you know, by trusting in God, it, you're still in the same environment. I did it already. Um, basically, uh, <laughs> when you're... When you see your life growing, when you're growing really spiritually and you see a lot of progress, the environment that you live in is, I did it already. Um, and when you feel like there's no progress in your life, you still live in that environment. So it's almost like, you know the things that you put outside, uh, whether it's like a grill or, I don't know, like furniture, like you can cover the furniture, you can put it in the shade, but what happens? It doesn't matter. Miami weather and humidity will still affect those things, and they will wear them out. You follow me? So, so, so we, but, but, but the problem is, is that we think that the climate of our reality is we do and we did. That's what we think. 
But God's like, check this out. You live in a climate now. You live in an area code in Christ that is all about the fact that the gospel's finished work will win the day because I didn't just make everything in six days or now going back to Christ. I didn't just make everything in my son, but now the climate that you live in, the environment you live in is it is finished and it will win. The climate will win the day no matter what is going on. And so the environment that we live in is he did already. Now, I'm going to keep unpacking this. You know, you know how I am. I, I can't just, it's no three points. There's like layer after layer after layer after layer. Some of you like it, some of you hate it, and some of you are in between. But here's another layer. He already did it is reality's beginning. All right, check this out. Day number six. God makes the world, he makes man in his image, like awesome and holy, and he gives them, you know, a wife, wow, to do things together. And he says, man, you have this ability to, you know, subdue the earth. And you know what God says in day seven? Day one. I got, I got, I got, I got exciting news for you. You know what I want you to do in day one? Do nothing. <laughs> He's basically saying that your starting place is do nothing. Your starting place is do nothing. And I know for us Americans, like, that's ridiculous. Well, day six, God makes us this way. Day seven says, all right now, day seven, do nothing. And so, so this, is, this, this concept is very significant because it's basically saying that we have to make our bed and sleep in what God already did in order to do anything, which is why God creation does things. So, so, so God's like, look, I want you to make your bed in the obedience that my son did for you and obeying God's law for you. And as you make your bed and you sleep and rest in my son's obedience, then that brings you to obey. But you can't make your bed in your obedience to try to produce that. It doesn't work that way. You know, you know, I need to make my bed in the fact that the cross of Christ, his sin-bearing death, his sin-canceling death, his sin-eradicating death has fixed me in the cross. And as I make my bed in the fact that the cross of Christ has fixed me, I then experience fixing in my life. But I can't make my bed in my little humanistic attempts to do things to fix myself. I can't sleep there. I can't start there. You know, I can't, I have to start how, how God has treated me in Christ, how God views me in Christ, because Christ was the obedient one, because Christ was the perfect one, because Christ was the approved one. God's like, that's where you must make your bed and sleep at night before you do anything. You can't make your bed and sleep at night based upon how people treat you, how people view you, and then think that something's going to come out of that. It just doesn't function that way. And you know... Let me just be real. I'm so quiet when the AC is not on, isn't it? Like hear the crackling of the bottle. <laughs> you know why we are so over-medicated? And I don't want to say that there's no reason for medication. That's not my point. But you know why we're so over-medicated? And you know why we're so fixed on being drunk and high and, 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 and we're just, because we are trying to substitute rest for not resting in Christ. 
We're trying to substitute rest with these things that kind of make us relax because we're not resting in where we should be. Why? Because our starting point for reality is do, 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 me, me, me. You know what? You know why we, 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 we try to relax by just a bunch of mindless, vain things, just watching things on the internet like for hours and hours? Because we're trying to replace a sense of rest that only Christ's Sabbath day, the true seventh day, can provide us. And God's like, look, your starting point, beloved, is I did it. You don't end there. You don't go there. You don't find yourself there. That's where you start. So he already did his reality's beginning. But there's more than that. And as I build on that, um, or blab on that, however you want to see it, he already did his reality's continuance. He already did his reality's continuance. But on the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested from all that he had done. You may say, like, but God, don't you do lots of things in the earth still? Like, aren't, like, new trees sprout up, and don't, like, new, new babies come, and don't, like, uh, you know, new things happen all the time? And God's like, no. I'm sustaining what I already did. So reproduction is just the sustaining of what God did already in six days. And it's, it's almost like there, there's two ways to, to view things, and if I could help. Some of you started a business from the ground up, right? Some of you started a website from the ground up. Some of you started churches from the ground up. Worst idea. <laughs> and starting something from the ground up, it's different because you start everything and everything then initiates with how you started. And then some of you went to work in the companies that were already started. Some of you ran, decided to oversee and sustain websites that were already started. And some of you, you know, joined churches that were already started. Um, and, and so here's the, here's the problem, is that we tend to see Christianity as a startup work. We, we, we tend to see Christianity as like a new Work. So it's kind of like, all right, I need obedience, so how do I do the startup work of obeying? I, I need to, like, you know, put away this particular sin issue, so how do I do the startup work and get the ground going on this? I, I need to, like, you know, heal, and, and how do I start? I need, to, I need to cultivate, like, a new value, like, patience, you know? Like, I need to, like, uh, surrender. I need to go from surrendering part to surrendering all. And, and we see everything like a startup business in our spirituality. But what we're seeing here is that the way God sustains reality is not by doing new things, but by bringing about what he already did. Because he does it all in six days. And so here's the alternative. It's more like, I don't need to put off some sin now as a new thing, but on the cross of Christ, thousands of years ago, you put away all my sins already, and now I need to lay hold of that and appropriate that now. That's the pattern that we see here, you know. Um, it's, or somebody like, I need to experience healing in some areas. So it's like, I need a new healing. It's like, no, 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 no. Thousands of years ago on the cross of Christ, by his wounds, we were healed. So now I don't need some new experience of healing, some new experience of power, but you did everything already in Christ. And so I need to go back to that, and you need to sustain me in that work that already happened, not some new thing. 
Or, you know, some of you may say, you know, I, I, I need to go from surrendering my part to surrendering my all. And it's like, no, 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 you need to go back to the surrender of Christ where he surrendered everything. And as you come to grips with the full surrender of Christ and that reality that your surrender was purchased and made real and efficacious and, and available and possible by the cross of Christ, as you go back to that, then your life can then continuously experience a sustaining power of surrendering. Because this is the principle of he already did that we see here. <laughs> Beloved Christians, God is not doing new things in your life. You know that? All he's doing is giving you new experiences and new reality, new experiences of what he already did in new ways. But he's not doing something new. That's the mystery of Christianity. God does everything for us in Christ, and now it's our job to discover what that means. Because he does everything, and then he sustains our life after he does everything. Which is why every behavioral passage in the New Testament just refers back to what Christ did thousands of years ago. So, all right, I need, I need to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, you notice, like, when I, when, I don't, when I don't talk as loud, I go slower. And then it makes my sermons even longer. So, whatever. He already did is reality's place of favor. It's reality's place of favor. Look what it says in verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. From he, That day he rested from his work. So, you may say, yeah, but God already did talk about blessing already. He, he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply. But you know what? It's different here. You know why it's different? Because he didn't bless the sixth day. He did blessing in the sixth day, but he actually blesses the seventh day, meaning that the seventh day is a unique place of favor in our life, basically. And what is the seventh day about, guys? The seventh day is about doing nothing because Christ, because God did everything already. This is a place of favor. And guys, this is, in our culture, we see blessing as being entirely based upon what happens or doesn't happen in our life. That's all we see. I got a new job, I'm blessed. Got a new wife, I'm blessed. Got a new kid, I'm blessed. Got over this sickness, I'm blessed. You know, had a great day, I'm blessed. And what's the alternative? Had a bad day, I'm cursed. You know, had a divorce, I'm cursed. Had, you know... You know, it's, but, but, but what, what we're learning here is that blessing the favor that we get is not based upon circumstantial distinctions and differences, but it's based upon what God already did in six days and in the seventh day saying, rest in that. Um, so check this out. How, how does this play out? It plays out like this. It means that I'm not blessed because, um, of how my life is going today or how my life will be going tomorrow. You know I'm blessed? You know why you're blessed? Because you're a part of God's seventh day where he did everything already to make you his own child, and that's why you're blessed and favored. Whether your day is horrible or it's wonderful. You know, um, I'm not blessed by how many good things happen in my life, in my situations, or how many bad things I can avoid but I'm blessed. You know why I'm blessed? You know why you're blessed? Because thousands of years ago, Christ, by his sin-bearing death, by his, you know, wrath-bearing death, by his rescuing death, by his wonderful sin-conquering, demon-crushing death, he made me a child of God. That's why I'm blessed. 
So guess what? If my life sucks, and if my life is more happier, if my life is more convenient, or if my life is inconvenient, I'm blessed now. Because blessing's not about all these little things that happen or don't happen. Blessing is about God's seventh day where God says, I have done everything and now I crown you with the favor of what already is. And beloved, if we live more like that, we would, I, think our, I think our days would be way different. We walk around like we're cursed every day. Why? Because we think of blessing and favor entirely or mostly on how things are going. And so <laughs> it's like your blessing is as good as your last day. You know what? That, that's just not very pleasant, right? Count your blessings. That's kind of like a... But, but yeah, God, you know, he, he gives us a new name, a new identity, a new area code in his, in heaven because he's in heaven. And he says, this is, this is the blessing. This is the favor that I give you. And it, here's a picture. Um, when, when, uh, someone is, uh, related, so, so say you're, uh, say you're a woman, you're married to a guy, and the guy's father dies. Okay? Guy's father dies, and then, he gets everything that his father owned, okay? And the reason why you as a wife get to now benefit and have all these blessings is why? Because of him. And so, so biblically, blessing is not things. Blessing is getting Christ. And once you get Christ, everything else flows from that. So God's like, you know, you know how I bless you? By in six days or metaphorically, in the work of Christ later, doing everything that is necessary for me to give you Christ. And in you having Christ, you have everything else. And in you are not having Christ, you don't have anything. <laughs> you know, sometimes people talk about Christ like, hey, man, you have, you have financial things in your life, and you have a family, and you have these things. You know, now just add Jesus. Look, if you don't have Christ, you have absolutely nothing. I mean, if all things were made through him and all things were made for him and all things are about him, you really don't have anything if you don't have Christ. And one day when you pass into eternity, you will realize that you have nothing when the reality of not being in Christ, who is the one who gives everything, is, is, is made evident. So, so he already did his reality's place of favor. Um, but moving on from that, he already did is where... Reality is ruled. He already did is reality is ruled. And I say that because in verse 2, it says the seventh day God completed his work and he rested on the seventh day. Rest, this is the thing about, about the Bible. We believe the Bible is one book, not a bunch of confused books that kind of just got brought together. It's one book. So rest is the same word that God used in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was that, you know, portable place where God would come and meet with his people. So after God sets up through Moses and, and the priest, the, the tabernacle, when he rests on the mercy seat to then rule over his people, the same word is used there as the word used here when it says he rested. You follow me? So, so God is taking his seat now to rule in creation on the seventh day. What does that mean? That means that he rules over us based upon the fact that he already did everything for us. That's how he rules. And let me give you an illustration that may help. I know, like, you know, some of this, some of this stuff, ah, I never heard that way. 
Ladies, this, here, I, I like to pick on ladies because I think ladies are very illustrative of life. Um, <laughs> you know, what happens when you go to the house and you try to set it up before the woman has set up the home? What happens? It's like you, you have to let her set things up how she wants in order for you to go in there and live in that kingdom. Let her set it up. Then you can do stuff later because the house is ruled by she set it up and now you go into there. And, and God's saying that's how creation is. I set things up after I'm done. And after I set things up based upon I doing things, that's how I now rule and you live in this reality. So, 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 you know, but we think of God's kingdom and the place that he rules. It's all about us weightlifting. It's all about, about us, how we do in society. It's all about how we do in the home. It's all about basically some sort of thing. And God's saying, that's not how I rule over you. And here's another picture that I think may, may help. Um, we're, this is how we're like. We are like, uh, I've used this illustration differently before, but I like it. Um, you know like how kids build little forts outside? And they build a fort and like, you know, it falls over. And they build a fort and it gets blown over. And they build a fort and it gets wet and it falls over. Um, and, and, and it's exhausting. And that's how we're like. We're trying, God, like, I want to, by my efforts and my strengths, I want to build, like, a kingdom that I could sit in for you. And God's like, stop the tree forts. I built a house for you with a foundation, with walls and concrete so I could rule over you. So stop with all these cute little forts that are exhausting you. And I rule over you in the house where King Jesus did everything for you to live in the house. Why? Because the way God rules over us on the seventh day is on the basis of the fact that he did everything necessary in six days. So reality is ruled on the basis of God's Sabbath rest for us. You know, and, you know, I'll say something else. You know why we're so exhausted with biblical authority? You know why biblical authority is so hard for us? You know why, like, God's truth and commandments, and you know why it's so hard for us? Because we're trying to set up things in order for us to be under God's rule. It doesn't work that way. God set up everything for you by his grace, in Christ, through Christ, by faith, so that as you rest in the works of Christ, as you make your house in the work of Christ, as you st stabilize your reality in the work of Christ, then you can be under his authority. Otherwise, biblical authority will always be something that is wearisome to you, tiresome to you, and frustrating. Why? Because you're trying to manage it with your own strength and will and morality. God's got to set up his rule for you to basically live in his rule. So moving on, um, he already did. This, I, lo I, love, I love how rich this text is. He already did is reality's place of intimacy with God. It's reality's place of intimacy with God. Look, on the seventh day, he completed his work and he rested. I'm going to go back to that picture. Remember the picture of God coming into the tabernacle? And that's the same word here. So basically, God comes into the tabernacle to be with his people. His presence in the Old Testament comes into the, the, the temple to be with his people, to meet with his people. But the only way he can go meet with his people is after everything is set up and everything's done. So God is saying, look, I come into creation. 
I come into creation to meet with you and be with you and enjoy you after I finish. Meaning that me finishing is how me and you connect. Um, and if, if later, I hope, I hope, I hope people can, can definitely be here for chapter two. Um, later in chapter two and then in chapter three, when God it says he's walking in the garden after they sin, it's the same word for the tabernacle presence in the temple. So God is saying that the place where you get to have really sweet connection with me is in the place of I'm done. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration that may help you grasp that. What's, it's like a mom, a mom and her kids. If you really want to connect with a mom, you got to really plug into the kid angle, right? That's what's nearly near and dear to her. Or, you know, maybe like you're the sports guy. And it's like, dude, the only way I could have a real intimate connection with you is if I connect, plug into that love of sports. Or some of you are builders, or some of you are cookers, and some of you are coffee fanatics. There is a unique thing that enables me to have that connection with you. Y'all follow me? Um, you could fill in the blank. And what God is saying is that the unique place where you get to experience my love and my presence is in what I already did. That's where you get to really connect with me. Um, and then I want to open a text that may help. Um, it's Hebrews. Let me go back to Hebrews again. You know what? One of these days, I'm going to drop Hebrews on y'all, and we're going to preach that book. Just You're not, you're not ready for it, though, yet. You're not ready. Like, what are you talking about? I'm ready. No, you're not. We can't do, like, we can't do 13 chapters of exposition yet. I'm building y'all up for that. Uh, we'll, we'll be in series for like a year, year and a half. You're not ready for that yet. Listen, Hebrews 10 says this, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, God's presence, through the blood of Jesus. How do I get you, God? It's through the blood. What's the blood? The blood is that finished historic work on the cross. By a new and living way. Wow. So, so it's not just at one point in time, I got close to you, God, by the cross, but it's like an ongoing way, a new and living way that he opened us through the curtain that is his flesh. Again, how do I connect with you and enjoy you? It is through your son being who he was in history for me. Going on. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near Listen, how do we draw near? With the true heart and full assurance of faith. (laughs) God, I want intimacy. God, I want passion. God, I want adoration. I just want to be with you. And God's like, it only comes through you connecting with the place where I really connect with people. And that is in what I have accomplished for you in Christ. That's the only place. And, And guys... I, I think we think we think connecting with God is entirely based upon some humanistic, moralistic performance spirituality. Like the more things I do, the more close I get to God. The more bad things I avoid, the more I get close to God. Like, I don't know, like it's just always something like that. And God's like, I came into existence and I rested in existence after I did everything. So how do you connect with God? How do you enjoy God? Same way. You connect with him, enjoy him, experience him, love him, treasure him, have that kind of passionate enjoyment based upon 
You connecting with that special place of God, that special place of God where he connects with you is in what he did for you in Christ. Um, I'm going to give you another example of a guy I met in D.C. one time. And he was like, man, you know, I spent so much of my, my life, my Christian life, just really avoiding God and not paying attention to God. And, and, and I, I prayed to God one day and I said, God, I, I, I just really want to be closer to you. And I've been doing so many Christian things, and like, and like, and it's like God feels more distance. And it's like, duh. I, I didn't say that to him. But like, I'm having a duh moment with you guys. Because he thought that intimacy equated with more religious movement, more religious behavior, more religious activity. And God's like, I move towards you. I move towards you in Christ. I move towards you in his obedience. I move towards you in his law keeping. I move towards you in his bloodshedding. I move towards you in his resurrection. I move towards you. And now if you want to enjoy me more, then you got to go where I move towards you. And the more we try to relate to God based upon our six days of resting in our morality, the more God seems distant. Which is why so much of our experiences and our spiritual highs, they just, they just evaporate so quickly. Why? Because they're all about us connecting with God based upon another sixth day, another seventh day, another eighth day that we produce and not in where God connects with us. So there is a, a few more things I want to say. And actually it is a few more things. About how we understand God's I did it in creation. And that is he already did is what defines holiness in reality. Listen to me. He already did is what defines holiness. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and he what? Declared it holy. You know, holy is just simply the unique place that God claims it and says, this is, this is most dear to me. This is most representative of me. This is basically like most sacred to me. And so what? listen, listen. What does God declare to be holy in creation? The seventh day. The seventh day is a day where you do nothing and celebrate the fact that Christ did everything. So what he's saying, listen, listen, is that holiness is first and foremost about you connecting with God's finished work and secondarily everything else. Let me give you a picture that may help. Any of you had abuelas, grandmas? Okay, check it out. How did, how did you value grandma by enjoying her food, right? That woman did not care what you did that day. You know what I'm talking about. She didn't care. Hey, you know, like I, 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 I did this and I did that. It's like, sit down and enjoy my food. All right? You valuing me. Grandson is determined by you valuing what I'm giving you and enjoying it. God's saying that is how we value and truly experience the holiness of God and, and, and walk in holiness is in that same way. Um, and so, but, so, so, here, listen. Holiness is much more comprehensive than making the right choices about what to do right and what to do wrong. Holiness is much more comprehensive than avoiding bad things. Holiness is much more comprehensive than what would Jesus do. 
Worship is entering into God's room, throne room, not birth room, where God the Father, through Jesus Christ's perfect life under law, his substitutionary sin-bearing, wrath-bearing, reconciling death for us, resurrection is a celebration. And God's like, I want you to come in here and worship by entering into what we did, not by filling this room with your little trophies. That's worship, beloved. Which is why the way we talk here at this church is like, look, you don't come here to Sunday to offer God something. You come here because God has accomplished something in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. And God's like, come, my children, come, my beloved spouse. And I want you now to just enter into the party of worship based upon me finishing. We don't come to the Lord's table offering our morality and our tears, but we come to the table with the reality that we want to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. That's worship, beloved. True worship. So, <laughs> here, here, here's how I'm going to close this. Um, and if there's some of you here who don't know Christ, uh, and I always have to assume that, um, Christianity is not a religion where now God recruits you to moralistically add trophies and add more behaviors and add more achievements and add more hoorah hoorahs based upon me to then rest. Christianity is a religion where God tells you, please stop. Stop it. Enough. Like the cross is a place where God tells you, I obeyed for you in Christ. I died for your sins in Christ. And I was resurrected for you, and I want to give you that by trusting it. God's not recruiting you to kind of enter into like a religious opportunity to now do religious things in Jesus' name to then rest. That's not Christianity. That's every other religion in some different way. And so that rest happens basically by saying, Jesus, your obedience for me as a sinner is mine. Your death for me as a sinner, a rebel, taking my death, taking my sins is mine. Your resurrection is mine. I just want to receive it. That's it. That's it. And, 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 to, and, to, and, to, and the way I would conclude to you, church, is that I really want to challenge you to think that God is your, God's works is your true Sabbath day. It's your true seventh day. Your seventh day is not your kids. Your seventh day is not your schooling. Your seventh day is not your devotional life. Your seventh day is not your marriage. Your seventh day is not how your spouse treats you. Your seventh day is not how successful you are in managing your issues and, and wounds. Your seventh day is not what you do in this church. Your seventh day is not your position in this church. Your seventh day, your seventh day is Jesus Christ. That's your seventh day. And I want to I want to challenge you and encourage you. To think, you know, how am how am I as a single person? How am I? How are we as a family? How are we going to live a life different in light of the fact that Christ is our Sabbath and He's our rest? And how how am I going to practically make decisions that enable me to rest more in Christ and rest less in all of my seventh days that I'm trying to create? Father, thank you so much for giving us a rest in your works.
or how we need it or how necessary it is or how important it is. Thank you, God, for giving us rest in your son's work. Thank you, God, for being refreshed in his works. God, we're so exhausted. We're so tired from trying to find, make people be refreshed in what we do. And we're so tired from trying to refresh you in what we do. But God, thank you for telling us today that you are refreshed in what you have accomplished once and for all in Christ. So Father, help us to enter into that rest in our homes, in our lives, everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.